In what range will the most polarizing prospects be selected? Find out where Richard and I rank the hottest names of the 2024 NBA draft. Coming up next on Locked on NBA Big Board. Welcome into Locked on NBA Big Board. You know us. It's not Rafael Barlow this time. It's Leaf Tulane and Richard Stamen, regular uh, guys that hop on this show and talk about the NBA draft, and we're excited to be with you today. I want to thank you guys, the everydayers, for making this your first listen, and with your next listen, check out your favorite NBA team's Locked on show. Also, I want to thank LinkedIn Jobs for sponsoring this show. And we'll talk about them later on. But go check out LinkedIn Jobs to get yourself a great job or hire great play, uh, great players if you're a team or employees if you're a company. All righty. Well, with, with without further ado, let's bring in Richard Stamen, who is going to help me break down some of the most polarizing players. In the first segment, we're going to talk about the guards that we think have very wide draft ranges and debate where we see them fitting into the draft in terms of what range we have them and what we think their strengths and weaknesses are because Richard and I actually disagree on a few of those. And then we're going to, in the second segment, talk about the wings. And in the third segment, we'll talk about the centers. The good thing about this draft is there's no clear order at the top. There's no clear order in the middle and there's no clear order at the bottom. There is good depth and there may not be any top dogs. So Richard, let's start off with Reed Shepard. Just give me your broad overview on him and, and we'll battle it out and see if we agree on some of these guys or if we're on different stratospheres, because I think there's a few that we are. Yeah. So Reed Shepard's really interesting. Uh, I don't think his archetype is usually desirable, but I mean, we've seen Kentucky guards not only explode in the NBA, but also like <laughs> I, he's not going to shoot 51% from three in the NBA. However, you have somebody as smart as him who is always creating chaos on defense, and it may not be the most effective. Like He's not a good on-ball defender, but he is very good at finding ways to play positively on the defensive end. He can shoot the lights out off the dribble and spotting up. I just feel like there's a good element to his game. Yeah, he's 6'3". It may not be the most ideal size for it, but like, how does that production not translate? Like At some point, it's like, if you're doing this so high level against like your equal competition, why would that not scale up? Especially when it's some of the most valuable things, which is intelligence, shooting, and honestly, the defensive havoc. I, I fully buy into him as a top 10 prospect. Yeah, so I think you, you touched on wh- why he's polarizing there. For those of you listening, Reed Shepard is a freshman for Kentucky, started the year coming off of the bench. He's scoring just over 12 points per game. Averages 4.4 rebounds, 4.1 assists, 2.6 steals, and nearly a block as a six foot three guard. He's shooting 51% from three, 81 from the free throw line, and 53 nearly from the field. So obviously those numbers are fabulous. The other thing you have to factor in about Kentucky is they've got a lot of guards and a lot of mouths to feed, no matter if they're guard heavy this year, which they are. Uh Shepard, a lot of people have have talked about as having the comp of Derek White. And I think that's what's misled a lot of people because Derek White's a sensational on-ball defender. Reed Shepard is more the intangibles, uh, anticipation through the roof, gets his hands on the ball. And like you've talked about, that's what makes people, I think, more prone to thinking, oh, he's a two-way prospect that that is a little bit shorter, but he's going to shoot this well. He's going to do that. My question about Shepard is what position does he play at the next level? I've heard some evaluators say they think he can be a point guard. Raphael and I talked about that. He, he had a friend that's a scout that, uh, that said, oh, they buy Shepard as a top seven, eight guy that 
is a point guard and he just hasn't played much point guard because Rob Dillingham handles that. And I, I wonder, does he have the explosion to be a point guard? Can he create for others or is what he's doing like what he's doing a product of the spacing Kentucky has because they have such good athletes that feed him the ball or him feeding others with those four assists. So I think I'm a little bit lower than you are in my initial board. I did have Shepard in the top 12, but I, but my, my skepticism stems from, I don't think he's a good defender on the ball and typically guards that are excellent with the ball in their hands uh, aren't good defenders, but you, you can build around them to be their point guard. Like Trey young is an extreme example but even guys like Donovan Mitchell or late stage Mike Conley, you see the diminutive guards start to be a detriment defensively. And everyone touts him for being a great defender, but I just don't see it. And I don't see him as a true point guard. So I think I'm trending downward on Reed Shepard, even though I love watching him play. Yeah, I I, I completely hear that out. It's going to take a smart coach and a smart system and honestly the right system to really hide him. We've definitely seen some guys over the years that are not good defenders or shouldn't be good defenders that end up being complete positives on the defensive end. One example, I, I think this guy checked out as a positive, but I know like this is somebody who had a coach that really knew how to use his size to his advantage. It was like the blind side guy. And this is what you could do with Reed Shepard. And that was JJ Barea. He's not the same player at all, but like on the defensive end, Rick Carlisle knew how to maximize him, use his size. He's a pesky defender. Obviously like when you're that size in the NBA, you have to be find a way to do to you know minimize your size weakness and just turn over forcing same thing with Jacob Gilliard even I mean he's on a I want to say he's on a two-way still with Memphis and he's been playing a lot because everyone is hurt and he is the all-time NCAA steals leader and it still works in the NBA so like what he does he, he's not a negative like a, a terrible negative in the NBA on the defensive end I just I have a hard time seeing a freshman who is getting almost three steals a game. And also he gets a decent amount of blocks. Like it's not yeah, like he's nearly just, a block a game. Yeah, it's nuts. So I don't think it's just like sheer luck by any means. I think he knows what he's doing. Again, not going to be an on-ball defender, but off-ball defense matters a lot in the NBA, especially this era of freedom of movement. I think he has a lot of value on that end. Yeah, I think there's some truth to that. I also believe that he's probably the best shooter in this draft. Um, I think he's right up there if he's not number one. And NBA, as ev everyone knows now, is trending to if you can shoot, you can play. And so I think there is a world where he's there. I I tend to have him dropping on my board just because I watch him play a little on-ball defense and I get scared of that, oh, he's if he's not an on-ball point-of-attack defender, uh, where does he go and can he play point guard? That just is hard for me to to envision most roles working for him. But that said, his productivity is through the roof. Uh, let's let's go to two more guys that I think are lottery picks, but they both have questions to me. Uh, Rob Dillingham, Reed Shepard's teammate, who they played alongside one of their off the bench, and now they're kind of playing a little bit together, a little bit separated. And then the other one, if we have time in this first segment, I'd like to get to is Castle from UConn, who also is projected to be a lottery pick, but he's on a very good team, so you kind of hide some of his deficiencies. Take, take your crack at which one you want to – diagnose first tell me where you got them and what your overall evaluation is well we're about to have three for three where i'm higher on the consensus than all of them probably or near the consensus uh we can do dillingham because i actually don't think he's that polar i don't think he's that controversial he is a little polarizing but i he's my highest rated college player like i'm very easy willing to die on that hill he's number four on my board i, I just i love what he's done he's matured a ton this year i, I buy the score the offense he has a good motor now. I just buy him. I buy. I think he's an easy role, like translation up to the NBA. 
So I, I'm lower on Dillingham just because I don't think very many people have met for. So I think you're, you're going to be at the top of that mountain. But I, I am, I do have some questions that are like not even devil's devil's advocate questions. One would be, does he have the size to defend at an NBA level? But that's not what you're picking him. You're picking him to be a starting point guard if you have him that high. So I understand that. That's less of a concern. Now the question is, yes, he's shooting spectacularly. For those of you listening, he's shooting uh, about 45% from three, 49 from the field. He's scoring nearly 15 a game, and he's probably the most dynamic player in college basketball with the ball in his hands. He's lickety-split quick. Decision-makings have been interesting of late. I feel like their assist to turnover for Kentucky was a huge strength recently. You've seen him, Dillingham in specific, play minutes sporadically, and he's been almost punished at times by Calipari, and that makes me a little curious about what's going on there. But I also think they've got a lot of mouths to feed. And then my other question would be, his archetype coming up was like, everyone would compare him to Turquavion Smith just because of the slender build. I think he's more like Lou Williams or a... um a, a guy that, that it, or a Bones Highland, maybe. Um, one of my friends recently said he reminds him of Jordan Clarkson. So those are all scoring-oriented sixth men. How how do you react to that as someone who probably, if you have him that high, see him as a franchise point guard? I, I actually think his playmaking is underrated. We see it every year with a Kentucky guard, so it's not like a hot take to say that, I feel like. I, I actually don't think any of those comps I buy into. Like, he score first, but I don't think he – but I do think he has point guard skills. Like, there's a difference, right? I think there's a vast amount of guys that have made successful careers out of being score for score first point guards that can pass. I mean, Jeff Teague made an all-star game. Um, Kobe White, he's not like the same level, but I, I feel like what current Kobe White is doing, you take that pretty high in this draft. Like if you got that earlier in his career than his second contract, I think that's somebody that'd be really valuable. And that's kind of just that path I see Dillingham going down. And again, like he, to me, he's most comparable to Kobe White just because like at North Carolina, I really bought into Kobe White's upside defensively. The range and the recovery ability were just so special, but it hasn't translated that much up in the NBA. If he can be different, I I think there's a lot more value there. Yeah, I think I think he's more of a point guard than any of those guys I listed. I just think those are common comparisons based off the build and the wiring to score. Uh, he's been controversial since day one because a lot of people labeled him as a chucker, and then he came in and was the point guard. Um, the last one we'll go through quickly is Stefan Castle for UConn. He's not a prolific scorer, but you see him do things very few guards as a freshman can do. He's got an NBA-ready body. I think that's the main attribute. He struggles to shoot the ball, shooting just over 30% from three. And he's a rim attacker, but he's big. And he's coming off a knee injury, so you wonder if that gets him more explosion. What, what's your take on Castle? Yeah, no, it's, those are all valid points. For me, I really like his ability to be a little bit of a floor general I think he needs to be a bit quicker with some of the passes he's made, um, but he does make good reads and he can make tough passes. The jump shot needs a little bit of work, though. I think it was against the Creighton game. Uh, it's actually last night where he hit just the side of the backboard straight on, almost straight on. So for me, the way I see it is like teams are going under his screens already in college or do the same thing in the NBA. How do you adapt? Because that takes away a lot of your game. And then also – like you said, the athleticism, how does he counter that? So it's going to come down to does his size and just feel for the game and playmaking ability outweigh that, or do those really hinder his game? What do you make of his athleticism just as an overall grade? Because he's big and he gets to the rim, but he's not quick, yeah. if that makes sense. But he, he does have 14 dunks in after being injured, and a lot of them are yeah. like half-court ones. You don't see that from guards very frequently. Yeah, I – 
I think he relies on his step through a little bit too much just in general and getting to the rim. But with the athleticism, he doesn't blow past guys. Like, I don't know if he really separates. And I, and talking all this out, it feels like if you had given me a blind scouting report between two players and they're really similar, the other player who could almost turn out to have the same scouting report, I think he was a sophomore when he declared, but he ended up being a bust. And that was Jarrett Culver. Now, that being said, I still have Castle like five or six on my board. So, uh, and actually it's number six, but that's something that could change because those kind of guards are really tough to evaluate because there's a reason draft Twitter fell in love with Jared Culver, right? Like the high IQ, the feel for the game, the getting to the rim in fancy ways, but like not doing it through athleticism, just more through finesse and skill, being able to play some defense, but you know, the shot and athleticism, like those are the concerns. It was, was Culver the one-off was castle going to be what people thought Culver would be. It's tough to go. I go back and forth with that all the time. I think we probably are flip-flopped in terms of our valuations and all these guys. Uh, and that's the beauty of this. Uh, and I think there's time for us to make those valuations. Ironically enough, I, I thought I was very low on Culver. I didn't, I didn't like Culver at all. And, and I thought he was a tremendous athlete, but he wasn't skilled. I think Castle's got more skill, but it's not quite the athlete that Culver is. Well, we're going to get into more of these polarizing wings coming up next. But first, let me tell you about LinkedIn. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. LinkedIn has a vast network of more than a billion professionals, a billion, which makes it the best place to hire. It gives you access to professionals uh, you can't find anywhere else. LinkedIn does all that while making the process easy and intuitive. Hiring is easy when you have that many quality candidates. And of course, you're going to get all these candidates. Um, You can get any of them at LinkedIn because all you have to do that is is list your job. It's so easy, in fact, that 86% of your small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. So that means that if you list a job today and then tomorrow at 2.15 mountain time, you're going to have a quality candidate. 86% of the time, and it's only going to go up from there as the more days it's listed. LinkedIn is constantly finding ways to make the process easier. They just launched a feature that helps you write job descriptions, making the process even easier and quicker. So post your job for free at linkedin.com slash locked on MBA, that linkedin.com slash locked on MBA to post your job for free. Terms and conditions do apply. All righty. Welcome back into Locked on NBA Big Board. Leave to Lena Richard Stamen. We had an interesting discussion in the previous segment uh, about which players of the draft class that are guards that are projected to be in the lottery project highly for us. And, and we actually probably had it reversed in terms of our order of those guys. And you can expect all of that type of awesome discussion on a lot of Locked On boards. So I want to make one announcement real quickly. There's a new national sports channel. Locked On has launched the first ever national sports 24-7 streaming channel on YouTube. And now it's available on Amazon Fire TV and the free Fire TV channels app. Locked On Sports today is here for you 24-7, covering the top sports stories of the day with local experts of Locked On Plus, our national shows covering every league. Find Locked On Sports today, now available on the free Fire TV channels app. All righty. So... Richard, we we disagree on some of the guards for reasons where we agree upon. That's what's interesting about the NBA draft and evaluation in general. I'm going to turn it over to you. What wing do you think is polarizing and and give your pitch on where you have them? And I'm going to answer honestly. I'm not going to intend to be devil's advocate, but based on the way it's going, I probably am going to disagree as we have three of three. I'm going to go with somebody that had a little bit of – has had a roller coaster of a season. They started – as a sleeper, then they really emerged. They're like, all right, first round. And now I think the consensus is kind of back to the second round. 
And I'm going to go with Miami wing guy. Uh, I, I realize there are two options. I've really brought the dramatics on that one, but uh, Wuga Popoar. I'm going to go with him. I still have not sold my stock. I've, this year is the first year I feel like I'm not being like reactionary to most games where I'm like, oh, four game slump, like move them down the board. I'm, I've been a lot more patient in saying, all right, they had three bad games. Let's see what the next three look like. So I've still kept him steady in my top 20 because of that. I personally, I've heard people say, oh, he's Malik Beasley. Like, I think he's much different. I, I personally, I buy him into being a pretty near all around wing in theory, at least. That probably tones down the specialist in some way. But I buy the defense. I think he's got a way better feel for the game than the stats suggest. A lot of people measure that truly only by assist to turnover and things like that. Don't think the stats portray that as much. He, he's very intelligent with the ball in his hands. And also, he can shoot the lights out fantastic athlete so i really like his game i've still got him in my top 20 curious what you think though because he's gone from late first second late second mid first like he's he's really gone through the whole range yeah i think that's an interesting prospect because early in this season i did an episode with rafael where i I listed three players i thought were deserving of first round grades that very few had on their first rounds and he was one of them Uh, i would say i have moved him slightly down just because his shooting while still good isn't necessarily the like the type of shots that I want. He was getting good shots and he was hitting those mid-range shots though which is his favorite shot and I liked that versatility but he started to get to the cup less frequently uh, in the games that I've seen and he's hitting threes that are open but it, early in the season he was doing it off the dribble and open catch and shoots. And I just love the versatility with which he was playing. I think he's an NBA athlete. I think he's got the body to play the two and the three in the NBA. Um, I would say he's kind of borderline first round for me. I actually prefer his teammate though, uh, Keyshawn George. He he is rising up some people's draft boards and other people have him still in the in the doldrums of uh, in the dungeons of draft boards. Uh, he's someone that intrigues me just because of versatility, uh, fluidity. He, he's someone that's big, handles the ball, and I'm a sucker for a a big point guard. But he doesn't need need the ball as a point guard. He shoots the ball off the dribble. He catches it. I think he's a really fluid defender. And I don't know exactly his role at the NBA yet, but his his size and versatility intrigues me. Yeah, I I know I talked to, with some people honestly before the season, both NBA scouts and college coaches that really liked him as well. He just has like the ideal frame. Like he has an easy stroke. I just I think he's somebody that's going to climb so much if he declares. You look at almost like last year how uh, Bobby Clinton kind of came out of nowhere, started rising. Obviously, he went to the NBL, so things changed. But I think you could look at him, at Keyshawn George being that kind of guy who he's this year's riser. Yeah, I think I think it's more likely that he ends up picked higher than Poplar, even though Poplar yep. is probably the more prolific collegiate player, and that's just an upside swing. I, I think both of them could be in the first round. I ha- I'd have to like flesh out my top 30 to exactly p- pigeonhole where they are, but I- I'm right there with you. Uh, let's talk about another collegiate player. There's going to be some G League guys uh, in here as well. I, I want to talk about a, a few upperclassmen. Uh, so one of them being Kevin McCuller, who I've seen as high as 10 on some prolif- uh, prominent boards, and the other one being Dalton Connect, who's, who I've also seen as high as 10. I've got one of them I like and one of them I'm not particularly high on. Uh, what, what's your read? And then I'll then I'll reveal which one's which. Oh, I already know we're on the opposite. I love Dalton Connect. I love I love, I love Dalton Connect. Oh wow, we're, yeah, on, we're the on the same, same side. I'm 
I'm honestly kind of shocked. I feel like I feel like Dalton wouldn't be your kind of player that you like because he I, I think in the NBA he's a specialist almost like it, it, more than a specialist, but like a lot of games he's just gonna be taking threes. His three to two ratio is gonna be very high. Like I, I think he's gonna be out there. Like for me, I envision him in Orlando, and that's why I think I just have this perfect fit for him. Like if, if you could put him anywhere, put him with the Orlando Magic, please. But the game against Florida was fantastic. Just tough off the dribble shots, one dribble, two dribbles, whatever, coming off of the screen. I just think that translates up so easily. I really don't care about the defensive concerns, especially if you put him in Orlando, where they've got three to four other really good defenders at every other position. I actually had this discussion last night while watching random basketball games till four in the morning. So this is just me repeating conversations and hopefully that I'm less delirious this time. But Dalton Connect to me is the type of person who no matter what you do, he's going to shoot the ball with confidence. And so there are some players that even if they're a specialist, they're like, oh, I got to get better at this, this, and this. And they improve their games, but almost to the detriment to their shooting. Like they defend so hard to try to get better and, and like eradicate that that stereotype of, oh, this guy's just a shooter. I think he's going to shoot with confidence no matter what. I think the fact that he's scoring 20 a game in the most athletic league in the country in the SEC, uh, both doing it by putting the ball on the ground. He's got a good – he's a good jumper. He's a one-legged jumper. Um, so he goes up strong in traffic. He's a good free-throw shooter. You hear this term uh, when you listen to any SEC broadcast. I think it's Jimmy Dykes. He goes, he's got NBA lift. And and I think – I'm like, what? That's a weird comment to make. But all of a sudden you see that he elevates over everyone and shoots over the top. So I, I, I can see him running off screens and being a very good shooter. Um, I also think that there's more and more emphasis on getting guys that can play early. And the fact that he's older actually is beneficial in this case. Whereas a lot of these players that you would take and believe in have more of a developmental curve. And so you're even seeing the, the lottery picks like Jet Howard and Grady Dick hardly play at the NBA level this year. So I'm high on him. Now for Kevin McCullough, this is an interesting turn of events because I I was probably the highest person on any sort of draft Twitter like four years ago about Trev, uh, Kevin McCuller. Like I thought Kevin McCuller was a better prospect than TJ Shannon when they were both at Texas Tech. And, te and Shannon was getting first round raves. And I was like, oh, th well, there's a guy on his team that whenever he comes in, the team plays better. And when Shannon's in, the team plays worse. He's the best defender. He's, he can, he's physical. He'll rebound. And I think in time, his shot will improve. Well, now he's a projected All-American. I've seen him as high as nine on some prominent NBA draft boards. Um, I I just don't see a way that he's not like a Tory Craig, which was in vogue four years ago. And Tory Craigs are hardly in the NBA right now. And, and this is not a shot at Tory Craig or that archetype of player. We only see one or two of those guys on a roster and only one can play at a time. So to have a guy who struggles to shoot, he's 23 years old by the time he plays, and and he's a defender, but the athletes in the NBA are, are so good that he's not that good of an athlete uh, relative to competition. I, I'm low compared to where everyone else is. I'm curious your thoughts on this. Yeah. So first of all, I, I do think for whatever it's worth, um, I I personally do think a lot of teams could use a uh, Tory Craig just because, I mean, I remember just even at the trade, the bun, uh, I personally, I wanted Tory Craig on the maps. And then also there are a lot of people over the years that have said, oh, man, could we get Tory Craig on our team? I just see it on Twitter or whatever all the time. I do think there is value. I think just some teams um, forget about that archetype. It, like you kind of said, it is one of the most – like it's not in there that much. It's not in the league that much. 
what worries me with Kevin McCuller is teams still don't respect his jump shot that much, and he's shooting 36% from three. What, I, what I'm having just the hardest time figuring out is, did he actually get like significantly better? Did he take a real jump? One, because he worked harder, and is there another jump to take, or is it because he's a fifth-year senior in college that just got handed the keys to the offense? So that's kind of my worry where I'm like, okay, some of this stuff might be a little bit inflated, but it really just comes down to the jump shot because almost every year over the last three or four years, honestly, his whole collegiate career, he's improved from the free throw line. So like, I do think the shot has gotten better. You don't accidentally go from 70 to 72 to 76 to almost 80% at 79.3. The worry is this is the first time he's going to shoot over 31% from three in five years. Like he's still a career 31% shooter from three. That's scary. Like he still has to prove to teams that he can shoot. And honestly, he hasn't been that efficient for most of his career. So I just, I worry it's his best case of specialist. And like, yeah, it's a lot of points. Like he can tone down easily, but is he actually worth the top 20 pick? Like I, I, I think it depends on how you, sorry to interrupt your own question that I was about to let you answer. But I mean, if you're looking at it two ways, right, of like a top 20 pick is going to be, will they be a top 20 player from the draft? And yeah, go ahead, because he probably will, because he has a high floor. But if you're aiming with it, like to say, okay, in the top 20, we want to take swings at upside, he's not your guy. It's just as simple as that, I think. I'm not as sold on the floor. I really am against the shot. I think it's improved, but I think it was a low baseline. Uh, and I think most of the players that I've been wrong on, and I, I feel like I've had decent success the last few draft classes, as well as you can do without cr- crazy amounts of information and up close and personal workouts. Uh, most of my misses have been projecting people to get better at shooting who are good athletes. And it's like, Oh, if you, well, if you, you can learn to shoot, you can't learn athleticism. Uh, I, I don't want to fall for that again. And for that reason, I actually am very high on Baylor Shireman and, and Jalen Tyson, two guys that I would have uh, over Kevin McCullough, even though both of those guys are, in the fifties on tankathon and other ones and McCullers in the lottery. So uh, I, I think I'm on the opposite side of the consensus on this one. And we we're going to continue this conversation and see where Richard and I uh, have different centers and our thoughts on a few different ones. But first let me tell you about FanDuel. FanDuel is, is awesome. I've used it before, but you got to get your buckets on FanDuel with your first bet on FanDuel America's number one sports book. And this first bet is pretty, pretty incredible because right now new customers get $150 in bonus bets with any $5 bet. I mean, any $5 bet. It doesn't have to be an elaborate parlay. It can just be, hey, who's going to win tonight's game between number one team versus not a very good team in college basketball or in the NBA once the NBA is back from all-star break. You can bet on that. You win that game, a heavy favorite, and you get $150 bonus dollars. Pretty incredible. That's 150 bucks if your bet wins. And it doesn't have to be big and elaborate. So I want to clarify that. So get signed up. Bet on all your favorite NBA players and teams with quick bets, live same game parlays, exclusive props, and more. I've tried all of them in collegiate basketball. I'm not allowed to do it with the NBA because I work for the Jazz. But I had a blast doing it at March Madness last year while I was in Denver. And they sent me a check afterwards that was waiting at my house when I got back from Denver. Absolutely could not recommend it more highly. Just visit FanDuel.com slash locked on and shoot your shot. FanDuel, official sportsbook partner of the NBA. All righty. Well, we're back. And Leaf Tulina, Richard Stamen here. And, and we're on to the most interesting part of the, the show where I think 
the range for centers is everywhere because coming into the year, it was Aaron Bradshaw was the number one guy. A couple of weeks ago, I even did a podcast where I told Raphael, I, I think Aaron Bradshaw, once he comes back from injury, probably regains his throne as the number one center. I don't believe that anymore. So I think this is moving everywhere. Now there's a two-time national defense uh, player of the year that's coming that's coming back into them. They're probably going to the draft in Zach Eady. Where is he on this list? So, Richard, I'm going to toss this over to you. Which center do you want to talk about that you think is polarizing and and we we shall debate? Yeah, let's do Zach Eady. I, okay. I think he's – I mean, I've seen him go lottery. I am not there yet. I think he'll be an NBA player. But lottery, I, I'm just – I'm not there yet. I'm with you. I think Edie will go in the first round. I don't know if I would have him there just because how many minutes can someone play at the breakneck pace that the NBA is playing when his team's fairly methodical in Purdue and it works through him. Uh, he is getting way more mobile defensively. Like that's a, that was a huge concern this year. They're not switching him obviously, but when he's playing drop coverage, he's sliding his feet and deterring drives without just waiting for them at the rim. I've been impressed by that. He's very good with his right-handed hook shot, but I, I don't, I don't have that much faith in the long run. I probably could see, I could justify picking him 20 through 30. I probably will end up having 30 through 40 on my board. Yeah, and for me, I think here's my issue with him is like the size is great, but it, it's not everything. And and a big thing for me is I just don't think he's going to be able to play in the playoffs. I, I just I really don't like the best case scenario is I feel like the best versions of Boban and Boban had, and like I want to clarify that because Boban is seen as like this mascot that isn't good. But that's just not the case. Like he's had an almost 10-year career, if I'm not mistaken, for very good reason with the Spurs, the Pistons, the Mavs, the Rockets, you know, Clippers, I think even. And it wasn't that he just bounced around. It was genuinely, hey, we have a real use for him. One of the ones I like using is the Mavs actually found ways to use him in the playoffs. It was in very limited spots. But like if, hey, the beach of Zubach is feasting, let's make him have a little bit harder of a time I mean, Zach Eadie's got like, what, an eight-foot wingspan almost or 7'10", something like that. It's ridiculously long. He's a big guy that he, there are moments for. But just going back to this last weekend, even against Ohio State, Bruce Thornton and Roddy Gale, who I think are probably second-round prospects at this point, really gave him trouble in isolation. They both hit him with these freeze hezies. And every single time, it was like a little bit of a head fake and also just like, I mean, it was a hesitation move, right? And both times... Zach Eady has to play from behind. And I just worry because while those guys are good, what's he going to do when he gets mashed up against De'Aaron Fox, right? De'Aaron Fox gets him on a switch. So that's easy two points. You have to re realign your entire defense to maybe overcorrect for when he gets blown by, which leaves open the three-point line. So I just worry that there's too many things like that. One thing I will say is a saving grace. I think he's actually going to be a better shooter than we expect. I don't know if he takes threes, but I do think he will space the floor more than he does now. It's just like Raphael always says, like, why does he need to do any, Why does he need to do that in college? Yeah, no, I, I think I think your Bobon point uh, I I agree with, and, and I think there is a spot. Uh, I have a few guys that I think will go ahead, but I'm not sure the order uh, because one of them I'm a little lower on, even though they fill the same archetype, and the other one I've kind of been pretty high on this entire process, but I haven't tweeted too much of it. I've talked about it briefly for the everydayers who listen to this. So thank you for tuning in to support Raphael and, and Richard and I, uh, you may have heard this, but this may be a novel concept. So two, two centers. And once more, I'm not going to tell you which one I'm higher on than, than the opposite. 
uh, Donovan Klingon and Eve Missy. I <laughs> I watch both these players, and I think the general assessment would be, oh, they're they're both big, they deter shots, they're not necessarily shooters, but they have good coordination and they finish well around the rim, and they anchor defenses that can that are afforded the opportunity to gamble because you can't attack the rim against them. One of them I believe in more strongly than the other. Okay, uh, I'm confident this one learned to disagree. So I like Eves Macy. I don't think he's as physically imposing as Donovan Klingon on both ends, and there's two ways I see it. One, actually two on the offensive end. One is very minor, one's a little bit more major. I think... I think Klingon's space that he eats is just so much larger that you have to bring two guys at him at the rim. That that's a huge difference. When like I feel like Misi is a one man defender kind of thing, where it's like, okay, you know what he's going to do. There's not a lot of different finesse to his game. Whereas I think Klingon has the drop step. He has a lot. He has, just has more moves to score. And again, he just eats more space. But also on the offensive end, watch each of them do dribble handoffs. He leads his man so much better. It's such a minor thing, but I, I've really become like just focusing in on that with bigs because you have to be able to run a clean handoff. I think that's big. And then on defense, it's just the range. I, obviously, Misi's better athletically, but he should, again, it's just the physical imposingness. Like, would you who who do you think skinny players are more scared to meet at the rim? And I think it's Donovan Klingon. So I agree with everything you said, but I'm actually higher on Misi. And, and here's why. So I was right. <laughs> yes, yeah, you, you were right. We were going to disagree. I don't actually dislike Klingon. I just think he's higher on boards than I am on him, and I'm higher on Misi than boards are. So I, I think it's actually somewhere in the middle in terms of like the way I phrase that question, but you you were correct. I The way I'd put it is Klingon is a very good deterrent at the rim in collegiate basketball for a team that is unbelievably connected. Like when he's on the floor, no one shoots layups against UConn, and that is the ultimate testament to the player. I actually talked about this on Locked on Jazz, filling in for David Locke yesterday, saying Walker Kessler protects six feet as about as well as anyone in the NBA, and that's statistically backed up. And I think Klingon's the best at that in collegiate basketball. He protects six feet, and the the defense when he's in is very different than when Samson Johnson is in. But Samson Johnson is like a switching big, and Donovan Klingon is a drop big a la Robin Lopez. I think that Eve Missy has more potential to grow in the NBA, though, because he is a tremendous athlete. I think he'll be a great lob threat, even though he's not quite as big, he's not as imposing. I think he'll get up and catch lobs uh, in a way that Derek Lively has done. Obviously, he's got Luka, which makes him you know, a, a great lob threat. It just in, in general, if you can go up and catch the ball. Uh, Misi, I've been impressed with his agility, actually. I wouldn't say his post moves are refined and super committed to memory yet, but you see, you see finesse, you see agility. I think defensively he can play uh, a hedging big. I think he can switch at times. You obviously don't want that to happen. I think he'll protect the room very well. And I think he's raw. I think there's a lot of room to grow because of the way that he came and played this year. I remember his first game, they're like, oh, we thought he was going to be a three-year guy, and he's already gone. Like We, we already know he's going to be a draft pick. And that was the first game of the year against Auburn. And that was against Jani Broom. But, and Jani Broom is going to be an all-SEC player, potential all-American. And Eve Missy was clearly the better basketball player. And so I, I think what happens with Eve Missy is he's going to develop into a competent free throw shooter, someone who can catch and shoot little push shots. He'll protect the rim. He's very agile, and he can be a rim-running energizer big. I don't know if I trust Klingon to run the floor in large minutes, 
like I do someone like Misi because Klingon was so effective last year because he would play in small spurts behind Adama Sanogo. Klingon also was touted as a decent free throw shooter. He's shooting 54%. So I, I think some of this stuff about skill is being overstated. That said, I, I don't think they're super like different prospects. Uh, Klingon's bigger, more more chiseled, and he's on a better team, which I think it like plays to his strengths more than Misi's yeah. does. Yeah, uh, that's definitely fair. I mean, context matters. So, like, I hear that. I, my thing is, again, maybe I'm just overvaluing floor. I also feel like Klingon has a lot to grow in. Um, you know, like you said, though, like neither, I don't think either of them is going to really be a shooter. But I just feel like there's a lot of areas where Klingon can just turn a notch from going very good at to going to great. And I think that's a big, big jump for him as well. Yeah, I think I think that's fair. Um, let's, let's do a rapid fire on two more prospects just because they're, they're intriguing to me. Uh, Kalel Ware is someone that I've been consistently low on. Uh, actually we'll just call it on that one. Kalel Ware, Kalel Ware and Oso Iguodaro. One of them I'm high on is Oso Iguodaro, but where's the five star who's moved out? Where, where do you have each of these two? Yeah, I had someone I, I trust text me yesterday and they said, I just watched Kalel Ware and he is, uh, I, God, what did he say? He was like, he just runs off pure talent, essentially. I, I should have had that ready before I just started reciting it. But he said, um, basically, like, it's crazy. Here's what it was. It's crazy how talented he is with just zero motor or fire. And that is still, the motor issues aren't as bad, I don't think, or as apparent as they were at Oregon in the USA uh, FIBA U18s two years ago. But, like, it's still a concern. Like, it, Rafael and I, we've talked about this a lot. I think actually you might have been on this one. Does motor go away or get better? Like, is that something either you have or you don't have? And I think it is now. I, I just, I, I can't get there with him. I think there's teachable things. If you're trying to make him shoot, I'm not going to buy that. I just, I worry is, can he ever have such a strong motor that he can stay in a game? Sorry, not in a game, but can he play five games in a row and every single one of those games, can he play the exact, like matches energy from the prior game? Yeah, I'm I'm low on where I don't even know why I was low on him coming out of high school. It just my gut tell, told me I didn't like him. Um, Oso Iguodaro, I'm higher on than the consensus because I think he's got this playmaking and he's a very good vertical athlete. But I do think the shooting is not going to get better to the point where people think it is. So I, I would say I'm not as high as some, but I but I like him in terms of if you find the right team to give him pick and short roll instead of pick and roll and lobs. I think he could really make a second unit better. So I'm, that's a floor guy for me. Yeah, I, I feel that. I think there's value to his game. It's just, again, he's got the talent. We've seen this too many times. Will the talent and work ethic catch up and like the motor, will all that be there? Or is he just going to get passed up by somebody who works so hard? Like a Dwight Powell, for example. Dwight Powell's not better than most rotation bigs, but he's in the rotation because he works so damn hard. Yeah, I'm with you right there. Well, it's been a blast covering this one with you, Richard. And I think we should we should do this more frequently because this draft is going to have more and more differing opinions from from people who prognosticate about the draft than just about any draft in the last 10, 15 years. So thank you for listening. Thank you to the everydayers for tuning in to Locked on NBA Big Board. With your next listen, check out Locked on NBA. Check out the experts who are going to be talking about all the teams that these guys could help in the next year. And once more, let me remind you to check out the amazing 24 seven access to locked on 
uh, on the Locked On's national channel, 24-7 sports streaming on YouTube, and it's also available on Amazon Fire TV. So you've been listening to Locked On NBA Big Board. Appreciate your support, and enjoy your rest of your day.